Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where apparently we're still NBA champions, and we just get to verbally teabag any and all of our enemies with that fact for the whole next year. Is that how this thing works? Shit, I forgot how nice a feeling that was. But yeah, the Los Angeles Lakers are unequivocally and objectively the best basketball team in the National Basketball Association. It's amazing. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Uh, Tommy, it's been a couple days, maybe a week, depending on when we release this, since the Lakers won number 17. Have you come off your high yet? Is it still surreal And are there any new and interesting observations and realizations that you've picked up on in the past week in the aftermath of Litness? I'm still mega lit, obviously. You know, mega lit. Um, But you know, it's it's crazy. I think it's like a lot of the guys when they landed in LA, they like two days or you know the next day were finally like LeBron tweeted like I can't. I just it just hit me that we won the championship. You know, it's kind of like a delayed reaction because everything was so crazy. I mean, maybe normally in a not COVID situation, you'd be watching potentially a closeout game with a big viewing party and you would party all night and, you know, have fun, go out to bars or, you know, whatever. And it would feel like maybe like reality. Um, I don't know. It it took me definitely some time for it to hit me, but I'm still riding the high. Uh, This team was just so crazy. And I think some of the like crazy facts that I read coming out of it really highlighted how good they were. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, they went 16-5 and five on neutral courts. They worked all season to get home field, or excuse me, home field, home court advantage throughout. And it was going to pay huge dividends in the playoffs. I mean, Staples, you know, going wild, like, in the aftermath of all the Kobe stuff and just, like, first playoff run in eight years, you know, it, it would have been rocking. So that would have been played, given us such a huge advantage. Despite that, we went 16-5 and five on this run, um, which was, like, tied for the best runs i think of the last decade which is like oh, pretty crazy shit. right and we did that all on neutral courts without home home court advantage um rajon rondo who you know we gave him so much <laughs> so many props playoff rondo over the course of the entire playoffs he was probably our third best player overall um he had the most bench assists over a playoffs since manu ginobili in 2004 like, that's, that's just crazy, dude. I mean, that's like prime Ginobili, you know, when the Spurs were just, like, crush, like crushing people. Um, last crazy stat, this one I think got a lot more play, but for a team that was, like, known to not be a shooting team and for, you know, a team that, like, commentators would say, like, I don't understand why they're even defending them. They just, like, let them shoot wide open threes. Just They're, they, they're a horrible shooting team. We set the NBA Finals record for most uh, most threes in a six-game series. I assume the caveat what? is there must have been a seven-game series that the Warriors were involved in, maybe, sure. that, that they had more. But apparently, in a six-game series, we had more threes than the Warriors had in, like, any of their six-game series. I don't... I, I'm trying to remember that how makes many or series... Attempts? Makes. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah. It was That's pretty crazy. crazy. So, um just just a very very special team and and you know i'm hoping as as many of them come back as possible yeah uh i finally got the chance to rewatch some highlights since that championship celebration everything was sort of a blur uh and then you realize there's no more basketball what the hell am i gonna do 
And I was like, oh, I haven't actually sat down and rewatched this entire game because the game was kind of done after halftime, right? And I was rewatching like Rondo's performance specifically and rewatching it. It's just incredible to see this guy. It seemed like he mustered up all of his last ounce of energy for this one game yeah. because he was looking spry oh, AF yeah. out there, dude. The he was crossing he over. In, yeah. yeah, he was crossing over Tyler Hero, putting on the juke fakes. He had that crazy reverse spin on Bam Adebayo for the lefty layup. And if you look at that clip, the bench is going wild after <laughs> yeah, he pulls yeah, yeah. that move off. Like Kuzma and Quinn Cook are like jumping up and down like that D'Angelo Russell bunny hop with Kobe staring at him with deathly eyes kind of celebration. So, I mean, he looked like year two, Rajon Rondo breakout year with Boston for that one game. And it's just so insane to see him yeah, driving with ease and pulling off these crazy layups. And it just felt like he really used up every last ounce of uh, athleticism for that one game. So, I mean, you can't say enough about playoff Rondo. Uh, For me, it was personally nice to see basketball Twitter just uh, shut the fuck up. Uh, (laughs) Like literally the, the, the days preceding the championship win, there were obviously still some idiots chirping here and there, but it's definitely far less incessant than before. And sure, maybe that's because basketball season is over in general, so there's a lot less noise to begin with, but there's definitely a lot more eating of crow, and at the very least, a lot more people just having to be resigned to the fact that the Lakers are the best team in the NBA from large factions of the Twitter sphere, and they're going to have to sit with that for the whole next year. And to me, it just felt, just felt fabulous, man. On top of that, I've been listening to, you know, Jared Dudley was on... Bill Simmons podcast, just relaying the entire journey that we've gone on as as a team in the last year. Frank Vogel, same with his appearance on the Low Post podcast. And they went back and recollected when he got hired by the Lakers and how that was like sort of, you know, being like the third choice, third or fourth choice behind Monty Williams and Ty Lue, how he felt when the Lakers were about to make that jump to number four, how nervous he was, whether he was nervous at all whether the Lakers pitched him on Anthony Davis at all when they pitched him the job, because at that time they still had the young core. And he was talking about how, nope, they pitched me how they have these promising young guys and they want to, they want him to help develop them and bring them along. That's crazy. (laughs) To the extent that they talked about Anthony Davis, all they said was, obviously we're going to be looking to improve this team in any way possible. But there was no explicit, oh, and by the way, Anthony Davis is in the works. Um, so it's just, it's just crazy to hear uh, them recollect just how far we've come from the beginning of this journey till now. Um, so that was, that's been really cool, being able to soak and sit in that and knowing that we're champions. It just changes your entire demeanor for the rest of this fall, which is crazy. Any other observations? I, I mean, I got to rewatch some of the celebrations. I found it funny that, again, that J.R. Smith was the first one to rush out onto the court and grab the trophy without his shirt. Um, anything else? Um, no, I mean, I think it was it was cool to see Dwight uh, and how happy he was about finally mm-hmm. winning one. And, and you could tell, like, at some point in his life, he must have hit a really low spot and it felt like there was just, he had no chance of coming back and doing it. And Dwight, you know, there's like a lot of, I mean, imagine the psychology, right? Dwight came into the NBA when he was 18 years old. He grew up in the league. Um, 
And imagine the psychology of just like year after year after year, like at first, you know, being told how great you are for like four years or like six years, you know, and like feeling like you're on top of the world. And then all of a sudden, just like a decade, nearly like a decade straight of, of you, every time you like Google yourself or see an article about yourself, it's just people trashing you, you know, like that yeah. must be tough to deal with. And it's serious. Like that's why sports psychology is a thing. So I mean, for him to, like, overcome, you know, the skepticism and, like, so many things that could have gone bad in his career, he really showed that if you're willing to put ego aside, you know, accept yourself and, and uh, you know, do what's best for the team, you're going to be a champion. And, and that's what he, he did this year. Well, I mean, the poetry behind Dwight Howard's story arc, I feel like you can say this for several different Lakers, right? Not just LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but obviously Rajon Rondo's arc. Dwight Howard's arc especially is just so compelling. And, you know, you, you pasted a copy of Dwight Howard's last tweet to L.A. before free agency, right, back in 2013, uh, where he said, I hope I can make it up to you, L.A., right? And mm -hmm. I think the Lakers official Twitter ended up posting that as well. And it's just so crazy to see that all come literally full circle. And I remember when we were discussing signing Dwight Howard um, last summer at this point now, and I made this joke that, you know, in Avengers Infinity Wars or whatever, Doctor Strange is like, yeah, I went through all the possibilities of how we win. And uh, Tony Stark is like, okay, how many possibilities do we come out winning? And he's like, only one. Only one. And I made the joke back then that the only possibility where the Lakers win the championship is if they bring Dwight Howard back and re-sign him because that's when things first went downhill for the Lakers. When they signed Dwight Howard, because if you remember, that's also the season in which that's the, now this is going to be fun season when Kobe yeah. tore his Achilles and was never the same. I mean, if, <laughs> if that hadn't fun. happened, I mean, if that never happened, who knows where Kobe would be? He probably would have still kept playing till he was 35. To me, it's actually, looking back on it, that season, Kobe was only, I think, 31 or 32. Isn't that insane to think about, that Kobe's prime was cut short at that age? Like, he could have still been playing at, at least three more years, like, at a very high level. That's true. But we never got to see, like, age 33 Kobe, you know? It's just kind of sad but anyways it started when the lakers traded for dwight howard and for me it's like the curses never stopped compiling and the only way to close the loop is to re-sign dwight howard and we eventually did and the fact that he completes this full season on a non-guaranteed deal not only completes it but is like a meaningful contributor and we would not have won that series against the denver nuggets without him uh it's just it's just insane to to see that full loop and that full arc completed for Dwight Howard. So uh, yeah, totally with you there. One last thing I'll add in terms of like interesting stats is there's that stat floating around about how this season when the Lakers have had a lead coming out of the third quarter, they're like 53 and 0 or oh, 57 yeah. and 0 yeah. or something like that. That's just, that is nuts. I think they're the first around. team in NBA history to f complete a whole season undefeated going into the fourth quarter. Jeez, if I had known that, someone should have been telling them that. Like, at the, you know, if there was ever a timeout with two minutes left in the third quarter, hey, we just need to get the lead after this quarter and we're going to be undefeated. But yeah, <laughs> these, these stats are, are, are insane and just is a testament to how locked in this Lakers team has been from the beginning. And I say, and I know there have been lapses and whatnot, but just the fact that 
given the circumstances, given the context that this is the longest season we've ever had, it really is remarkable that this team was able to maintain cohesion and continuity even through that ridge or even through that rift, right, between quarantine and when the bubble restarted. Because I don't know if you remember, but like during that off season, we were talking about how if the NBA restarted, the team that would have the most to lose would be the Lakers, right? Because they had the most chemistry going. They were they had just beaten the Clippers, the Bucks. They had momentum on their side. And they were the number one seed, right? They were going to lose all yeah. of those things because of quarantine. And somehow, I mean, it was a rough first eight games in the reseeding bubble. But if you listen to Jared Dudley um, on Bill Simmons' podcast, he said it was a calculated move to just make sure that Nobody was going to get injured after they beat the Clippers in that game one receding game. Um, but yeah, just the fact that they were able to withstand that rift and that gap time and, and act like there was never a gap is, a, is truly remarkable. And again, a testament to the Lakers leadership from top down. Um, we're going to take it to our first break. And when we return, we will talk about how this championship is viewed from the outside and how we shouldn't... Uh, give an F. So we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right. So we're back. And obviously because of the bubble, because of no fans, because of the, all the very unique things that happened this season, including the injuries that occurred to uh, the Lakers finals opponent in the heat, but also the teams that they weren't able to face because those teams for one reason or another dropped the ball. Um, A lot of people will And this is uh, to be expected, but a lot of non-Lakers fans and the outside media will probably say, well, can we really call this a true championship? Um, And this question was actually posed to us by uh, AFABrain, A-F-A underscore brain uh, on Twitter. And he was just, he just asked, what are your thoughts on how some people will claim this championship doesn't count because it's in the bubble? Um, I think for me, the easy answer is, who cares? <laughs> We're yeah. the champions. They really can't take this away from us. It's in the history books forever. Yes, you can put a footnote on it and say this was during a pandemic. This was during the bubble with like an off season in between. Is it really fair? Because LeBron James had time off, etc. And then obviously the, the, the Lakers didn't face the Clippers. They didn't face the Bucks. They didn't even face the Raptors. All teams who had given us trouble in the regular season. Um, and then on top of that, when they finally faced the Heat, they lost Goran Dragic, their leading scorer. Butler was a little bit banged up. Bam Adebayo was banged up. So a lot of people will, will say the Lakers had like an easy shot to the championship this year. Um, and the, the way that I combat that is the fact that they can say that, but the players who actually went through this experience... I don't think they care. And for them, they know that they're champ they know that they're champions. They know what they went through this year. And I just think that there's like an intangible aspect of obviously winning a championship. Uh, you can call it an asterisk title all you want, but the fact of the matter is, our players have gone through a full run together and have felt what it's like to play high intensity playoff basketball together and come out of it, come out the other side winning. Um, If you want to call this fake, fine, but don't tell the players that because now that they've gone through this experience, the intangible effects of them knowing they're NBA champions and the fact that they have this one year under their belt together, 
Uh, when the time comes to face the Brooklyn Nets, the, the refocused Clippers, the Warriors, whatever, next year, when it's a real playoff run, well, they've already had their dress rehearsal, and they'll be even more prepared to face those teams then, in my opinion. So you can take away the merit and value of this title all you want. Fact of the matter is, this experience is something this Lakers team can build upon and something that they can channel down the line when they face your favorite team and eventually pummel them to the ground. So that would be my, my takeaway. If you want to call this like a beta test for the Lakers, sure. But this is one year where they, that they can put and hang on their belt. So, uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts on people calling this an, an asterisk championship? It's nonsense, obviously, right? I mean, everyone who loses is going to look for any excuse why it shouldn't count. Um, and I think this year, there people have a lot of stuff to point to. There's like a, a lot of reasons people could point to. Um, you play who's in front of you, and that's all you can do. Okay, it's like you're not you're not playing all 30 teams at once. You're playing whoever's in front of you, and and. Every, it's everybody else's responsibility to advance. Theoretically, if this works, that's why it's not a one-game, a single elimination, sudden death, like March Madness-style tourney. It's a seven-game series, the theory being the better team will emerge in seven games. If a team is going to lose three times in a row, when they need to win once, that's on that team. You know what I mean? Maybe that means they weren't the better team. So, you know, it's I, I think it's kind of... It, it, it's obviously nonsense. I... Nobody was calling for an asterisk title when everybody in the Warriors blew out their knees and legs and ankles and, like, nobody could play. They were playing with, like, seven guys, you know. Quinn Cook had to play meaningful minutes because yeah, of that. Yeah, Quinn Cook was playing, like, 30 <laughs> minutes a game in that series, you know what I mean? So it's like it – and they still almost won by – sorry, the Warriors still almost came back and won. Yeah. It, it took, like, a heroic efforts from multiple guys on the Raptors to pull it off, but – Like, a banged-up DeMarcus Cousins was playing. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> – you know, it's nobody was calling for it then. You know, nobody was calling for an asterisk. I, I don't know. It, you know, you can think of a million examples of, of how this happens every year, uh, almost. And well, there was one season when I think the Cavs had Love and Kyrie banged up, and that's one of the years that the Warriors beat no, the Cavs. It, well, but, exactly. Yeah. That was the first year the Warriors beat the Cavs. Um, Kevin Love, famously, that was the year that Kelly Olynyk like, ripped Kevin Love's arm out of his shoulder in yeah, the yeah. first round. And they still, without Kevin Love, made it all the way to the finals. And Kyrie Irving like tore his ACL in the first game. Um, which they almost, they may have, they either almost won or they, they you know, may or you know, uh, or did barely win in, in overtime mm -hmm. or something. I can't remember. But anyway, it was, you know, nobody called for an asterisk there. Everybody was so happy LeBron lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were like, they didn't care if LeBron was playing single-handedly. That yeah, that was one of the most absurd series of all time. I think he shot like 41% because he was literally trying to just carry <laughs> a team of scrubs. I, he averaged, I mean, if you look up his numbers from that series, it's just absurd. But, you know, it's it's like people pick and choose when they want to raise this argument, and more often than not, it's going to come up in a year like this where, you know, the Lakers, everybody wants to hate on them because they're good for the first time in a long time. So it it's whatever, dude. I mean, it's it's just, it's kind of funny to me, but fans are going to be fans. Yeah, fans are going to be fans. The media is going to be the media. And like I said, the biggest takeaway I get from this is uh, this is the worst the Lakers are going to get. And they just went through this experience together. All the ups and downs, like the most tumultuous ups and downs that I feel like uh, any NBA team has really had to experience uh, in a full year, like full year. And 
it's kind of like that self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like the media can say whatever it wants. Opposing fan bases can say what they want. At the end of the day, it's only really going to affect Lakers fans. It's not going to affect the Lakers players who have gone through this, right? So year two, uh, when they actually play against these other teams, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, the Golden State Warriors, the Clippers, if they get their act together, whatever, they have more experience than those teams of having gone through this. You know what I mean? And I think that counts for something when they get to that point. Um, to close this episode, I just wanted to latch onto that thought of literally this just being the beginning and, and your thoughts on that, whether it's even if the Lakers bring this entire team back, just that concept of, yo, we won this championship and we did it in pretty dominant fashion. Um, and we did it with Rajon Rondo being the third leading field goal percentage guy on the team. Cal Kuzma being the fourth. You know, it's just ridiculous that there are so many ways that this team can even just improve upon what they did this year with the exact same guys. Uh, but that's not even taking into account, like, if Avery Bradley returns, right? Or if we get internal improvement from Cal Kuzma, who didn't even have a Cal Kuzma game, you know, this playoff season. He, yeah, he honestly, maybe he, maybe he had, like, one, but it, it was in a game that, like, didn't matter. Right. It was like the Houston Rockets blowout game where he had like 17 points, right? But we didn't get like from the beginning, Kyle Kuzma hits three threes in the first quarter (laughs) and we're like, oh shit, here we go. Um, And Taylor Horton Tucker, you know, who knows what he brings in year two. Um, So yeah, just your thoughts on that concept that literally the best is yet to come for this Lakers team. Yeah. I mean, this is why historically the team that wins the championship it's like it's not just an old school respect thing. It's like the reason they're typically the favorite is because they're going to bring back most of the same roster in most cases, right? And this roster has now had a very, very, very intense process of playing together. And chemistry is like an intangible, serious thing in basketball, right? So it you're going to bring back at least LeBron and AD, and you kind of know that with the... You know, you're going to bring back Kuz, he's guaranteed, Danny Green is guaranteed, Crusoe's guaranteed, Quinn Cook is not guaranteed, but we can we control him. Um, there's a number of guys, Taylor Horton Tucker, who you know who are for sure going to be back, and that's going to be enough to bring some sort of chemistry and, and you know, that cohesion and that all that from last year. And the entire rest of the league has to spend the entire season playing catch-up to where we will be from day one, right? So... It it's uh, the best is yet to come. I think we've set ourselves up really well. We were actually talking about this. I feel like this doesn't get uh, talked in, enough about. Um, we not only have our pick in the first round pick in the twenty twenty draft, but we will very likely have our own pick in the twenty twenty one draft because it only vests in New Orleans if it's a top eight pick. And I mean, that's next year, you know what I mean? And we're AD is going to about to sign an extension and LeBron is guaranteed. So like, I just barring a could extreme, if one of those guys plays, you figure we'll at least be like 14, 15, like it'll be outside the top eight. So yeah, we're very, very likely to keep that pick as well. Um, you know, maybe whether or not we make the picks, we, it's, it's definitely an asset. Um, we have ways to grow the roster. We have ways to improve the roster. And we're starting at such a high floor level that it, I mean, it's just all upside from here, it feels like. Yeah. The other thing is, um, what is a championship 
version of Anthony Davis going to look like after one year oh, yeah. of going through oh, this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and that's well, that's another thing. I mean, like guys change, right? When this kind of thing yep. happens, Kobe had that first playoff run with Shaq, and I think that season he averaged like twenty two and a half a game. Um, the ninety nine two thousand season. I don't know why <laughs> and then that number he averaged stands. like twenty eight the next. Yeah, exactly. No, I, next like, season. That's what I'm saying. I have no idea why that number stands out to me, but I feel like that's what he averaged that year. And he averaged like twenty eight the next year when he came back. He was like twenty three years old, but you know, just coming off winning the finals. And I think we're going to see something similar with AD. AD has always been a low thirty percent three point shooter and like a you know streaky but maybe kind of inconsistent mid range shooter. He shot like as well as Kawhi Leonard's 2019 run from the mid range this year, like or maybe even better. I I don't I don't know where he landed. I know coming into the finals he was like better than Kawhi. I think better because of volume too. Yeah, obviously. yeah, and and you know AD over 60 ish games uh, with the Lakers this season shot about his career average low 30s. I think he shot 33 percent. But in 21 games, which is a substantial sample size, like I know it's the playoffs, but like the playoffs, the defense is even more intense. Um, he shot 38% from three, taking like three threes a game. I mean, if he's going to shoot like that, dude, like I don't, it, I mean, and then that's an, another thing we were chatting about this a little bit earlier too. Like AD could legitimately just spend his entire 2020, 2021 season going after the defensive player of the year award because it seems like that's a chip that he has on his shoulder yeah and casually score 25 points without even really like trying <laughs> because i mean yeah. he played this well he averaged 26 a game this year in his first year with lebron like people forget it i'm pretty sure still october, feeling things out <laughs> yeah october 17th 2020 2019 was i'm around that time was the first i don't know why the 17th stands i don't know why these numbers are standing out to me today but you know i'm pretty sure around that time was when we opened the season against the clippers last year and it, it was so it was like about a year ago almost exactly we were watching these guys play together and we were like, wow, is this going to like work? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was like, <laughs> wow, are they going to like ever figure out how to run a pick and roll? And like by the end of the playoffs, these guys were so in sync with one another. It was just like insane. And they're going to start the season at that level next year. So it's, it's just like the best is yet to come in so many ways, like you said. And this is why when I say who gives a, who gives an F about what people are saying? You try and tell Anthony Davis that his title is an asterisk title. I'm pretty sure yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't see it that way, and you'll feel it on the court. So uh, that's one thing to keep in mind. And also the last thing I'll say about that too is if everybody's saying this run was so easy, why wasn't your team in it? Why weren't the Clippers yeah, in exactly. it? Exactly. Why weren't the Bucks in it? Why weren't the Raptors in it? Everybody had to play under the same sort of context and circumstances, okay? Yeah. Um, and there are intangible um Things that go into how a team is able to overcome, you know, such a such an e weird, unique circumstance, and the Lakers were the team that were able to was able to do it at the end of the day. And one thing that I'll add to close this episode out is that next season, if the Lakers even need extra motivation, is the fact that they didn't get to do this in front of fans this year. Oh yeah. Next year, they're going to want to feel that excitement, that emotion. They're going to want to win it for the fans next year. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm almost positive that's going to be one of their slogans, you know, coming into the playoffs for the fans or something like that, <laughs> for the culture, whatever. Um, it's not a, something not as hokey as that, but you get what I'm saying, right? It's like if you need anything new to sort of spark you, which I don't think the Lakers do, but if they did, 
that's one new element, one huge new element that they can kind of latch on to to help drive them next season. So, because, you know, you know, the second year, and especially the third year after repeating, you know, you get into a sort of lull. Um, but yeah. for the Lakers, I yeah. don't think that's going to be the case, you know, Certainly for, for many different reasons. Year. Certainly not next year. I mean, it's historically hard to three-peat, which is why that early 2000s Lakers team was such a big deal. Um and why the Bulls teams were such a big deal. But, you know, repeat, it's happened. We've done it many times in our in our franchise history. We can do it again. I, I feel confident that the team is getting better. We'll worry about the three-peat when the time comes. How about that? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. So with that said, that'll be our episode. And to close this out, uh, we're going to have Alan hop in randomly. And uh, he's going to do... Where did he come from? I don't know where he came from, but he's going to do a, a multifaceted... M- multiple personality disorder impression showcase of many different guys through Lakers legacy podcast history. Uh, you'll hear some Charles Barkley, some Luke Walton, some Zubots, pretty much Alan's greatest hits. Um, if you've ever seen the movie split, it's going to be kind of like that. <laughs> oh my God. That's so true. I wish we had video of Alan doing it now that I think about it. Um, I actually had Alan record this by himself. Like, a week ago when I thought the Lakers were going to win on Friday and we couldn't have uh, an immediate recording afterwards just so I could have a placeholder episode. And uh, Alan delivered. The Lakers did not deliver that night, but Alan delivered. And now I can uh, show you guys, or you guys can now listen to it here. And um, Tommy, how would you describe uh, Alan's performance? It's lit, fam. It's very lit. So with that said... Alan Riley, Charles Barkley, Luke Walton, Swaggy P, Zubats, Jordan Clarkson, take it away. Can you take it? Can you take it? Hey, what's up, Laker fans? Well, I guess I gotta say congratulations to y'all for winning the championship. Uh, Anthony Davis. I know I called you soft. I know I said you's a nice guy. And I still think you're a nice guy. But first of all, I just want to say congratulations to you, my my man. Uh, great job, LeBron James. Good job to you too, sir. <laughs> I think you might be the GOAT. Everybody know I got a problem with Michael Jeffrey Jordan. So, so maybe LeBron, Raymond James, you my GOAT. Hello, Lakers. Uh, I miss you. I've been uh, at home, as, and it's not not fun. Uh, playing for a little brother Clipper is not not as good. I still wear all my Laker jersey that I wear in Croatia. Uh, I have my Lamar Odom. I have Kobe Bryant, of course. Oh man. I miss you, Laker. Please take me back. <laughs> Please take me back. Hey, what's up, Laker Nation? Man, it just, I just feel like I should have been there with y'all, you know? I know, I know I played with LeBron in Cleveland for a little bit, and I thought that was going to be my chance, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, man, now, now I'm stuck up in Utah. Ain't nothing to do out here. So, uh, I don't know, man. I just got to, I feel, I feel like I got a little something to do with this championship, you know, through the, through the tough times and all that. Uh, so yeah, congrats y'all. Uh, peace out. See you next year. Uh, Mabuhai, Mahakita. 
this is uh Luke Walton. Um, you know, I was just thinking I was with Big Bill. We were uh we were having a little smoke out session in the tent down in San Diego the other day and um, you know, he made the uh, astute observation that uh I am kind of like Mark Jackson was for for my good friend Steve Kerr. Um Frank Vogel in this case being Steve Kerr and I was Mark Jackson so I, I do <laughs> think that that. I, I kind of set the foundation and the tone for this championship and uh, Frank just took it to that next level so congratulations Laker Nation um yeah <laughs> what's up y'all you know this swaggy p up in here and i i just heard what what luke said and i just want to say that uh i i think that i will start doing that too you know i i know i'm, I'm in the memes and i'm in the gifts and all that kind of stuff but all right jonathan you can get that one out i don't know why the <laughs> hell i said <laughs> oh man that was really good Oh, that one, Ross, that last that one was, was he just got too lit. Dude. Yeah, he was like, yo, yo, cut that one out. Go Lakers. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.